MP, Christmas is almost here. Brado, doesn't that mean the world's about to end? Oh, don't be silly, Marcus. But what is about to end is the two-for-one tickets to the Wellness Base Camp. Jeepers, Brado. Two-for-one tickets to the Wellness Base Camp close this Friday, December 15. Book your tickets now to go in the draw to win some incredible prizes. That's right, Brado. We have three copies of Joe and Fuad's life-changing food to give away and up for a chat, Kim Morrison is giving one lucky Base Camp attendee the signature 28 diffuser with not one, not two, but three synergy blends, including festive spirit. That is valued at almost 200 bucks. All you need to do is book your tickets to the Wellness Base Camp by Friday, December 15 to go in the draw. Give yourself the best Christmas present ever. And win a prize. Two for one tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Welcome back, guys. Good to have you on a quirky journey again. Uh, this is Fuad Kassab, and with me is Jojo Jojo Witten. And Joe, you're. How come in- I get extra Joes today? I don't know. I've, I feel like I'm a bit repetitive at the moment. I just like, <laughs> I've had to say a lot of things again and again to my children. So I find myself like. An oh, I know what that feels like. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. All right. Oh, well. We do. That's they, okay. They learn by repetition. That's how... That's they do. How they learn. It's the how thousand times method. My Mostly. wife is a Suzuki violin teacher and, you know, I think yeah. they call it something like the thousand times method, which is, you know, the kid has to learn the, the song yeah. by repeating it a thousand times. It's, it's not about yeah. having them understand something at that stage. It's just about doing no. it again and again. Muscle memory and yeah. all that kind of thing. That's yeah, it. I'm hoping my kids will learn the muscle memory for cleaning their room. Yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would be the day. Uh, let that me, would be. Let me just predict something for you and then maybe. Okay. okay. I'm going to, um, I'm not a, a gambling man, so I'm not going to put <laughs> money down here, but maybe I'll say I'll get you, um, I don't know, uh, a 16 liters of my family olive oil um, 2019 if your children have learned by then to clean their room on their own wait I should tell you that the girls are really good at it yeah I'm talking about the boys the girls are always yeah, good at it yeah. Yeah, true, true. I've, I've seen Isaac Isaac guys goes in and makes a cup of tea every time and it infuriates the <laughs> out because and me. he fills the tea up like the cup Right up to the top, right up to the until top. it overflows. It overflows, and and then he Every carries time. it across from the sink to where he is, and like a quarter of it yeah. falls down on the way. And I keep having to tell him, Isaac, just don't <laughs> overfill it. <And laughs> always does. So he does. He does. So if we can break that habit this year, that would oh next year that would be good. Don't think so. Oh. I don't think. Well, would. yeah. Yeah, if anyone has a good idea of how to break that habit, just let us know. <laughs> just stop giving him tea, that's it. Just say, you're not allowed. I don't give it to him, he gets his own. I know. <laughs> He's too old now. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, we're always living and learning as parents. Maybe I'll have a, a brainstorm and figure out how to teach him how to make tea properly. Maybe we could have a Japanese tea ceremony since oh. he loves Japan and Japanese stuff so much. Japanese girls. <laughs> he loves Japanese girls. Yeah, that yeah. too. Yeah. 
Oh, Isaac, you listen to this and go, Mom! That's all right. I don't think he likes Japanese girls. He likes a Japanese girl, so that's cool. Okay, okay, enough yeah. now. You're going to really embarrass him. All right. <laughs> Her name is... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, Joe, Christmas is coming. and It's uh, coming very quickly. I feel like I'm on the slippery slope of Christmas. Uh, is that wh- a thing? What are you doing this Christmas? Well, hopefully not much because that's how I like Christmas to be, really chilled. Um, okay. My... My busyness has been now, actually. My, we, when we went to Melbourne, um, it was, you know, a crazy whirlwind nine days of fitting as much as possible into nine days and as many people as possible to catch up with. And uh, my sister and her family were there and um, lots of nephews and nieces. So we sort of had a sort of a pre-Christmas Christmas down there. Yeah. And then um, my brother and five of his kids are here. Um, for 15 days and so we've had lots of kids and cousins and noise and messes even more than usual and lots of fun too um so that's been really noisy and you know taking them for drives to see the christmas lights and putting up the decorations and yesterday they made grain-free gingerbread cookies and decorated them with a like a um healthier version of icing and so we did all that kind of stuff yesterday so, and in between all that, I'm working on a Christmas cake blog post and trying to get all the usual work done and all the catching up on emails and messages from being away for 10 days. And it's just crazy. <laughs> so once the kids leave and things settle a bit, I'll be able to think about what we're actually having for Christmas Day because I don't even know yet. <laughs> wow. Well, let's figure it out today because um, let's. I think that would you know, be good. You've been writing the Christmas blog post anyway, so you're going to have to formulate yeah. some kind of plan of attack for Christmas. And I am. I think it's the same for Today's us. The day. We, we really don't want to burden ourselves on Christmas Day for no, with all that cooking. Be a day. Yeah. And by chilled, I mean all the food should be just chilled and you know, just <laughs> take it out of the fridge. You either pop it in the oven to reheat it or um, you just serve it cold. So... We will be talking to you guys today about ideas for recipes that you can use um, for Christmas, whatever it is that you can make beforehand, and having it on the table for Christmas Day to minimize the craziness of having to roast something to perfection over Christmas or to you know, get the meat at the right doneness while the potatoes are over baking or something like that. So, <laughs> Um, it's just always a uh, yeah. It's always a chore Christmas if you overburden yourself with a lot of cooking. So, um, what what are your top ideas, Joel? I, I was thinking we can well, go through the cookbook and uh, yes, we need to we need to talk through um, the cookbook to give people some ideas from our cookbook. Definitely, because I was looking through it this morning, going, I want to make that. I want to make that. I want to make that. So I need to narrow it down. So you can help me. Yeah. All right. <laughs> let's do it together. Um, Okay, my my mum always um, does a lot of the cooking at Christmas. I have to be honest oh. because she lives across the road, and she her her thing in life is to feed the world. I'm sure. Feed um, the world, yeah. make it a better place. <laughs> That's right, and she doesn't take Christmas off. I can promise you. So she'll be probably making turkey and who knows what, oh. as usual. Yeah. Um, but I have I have bought a Christmas ham. Um, from our local grass-fed, free-range, whatever 
awesome piggies um and it is we had it last year as well and it's just the best so if we don't need it for christmas i'll save it for new year's but i thought i'd better get in quick and buy one because they always sell out and they have Um, so i've got that that's the only thing i've thought of so i have a ham on on order (laughs) so does your mom get like um like a free range turkey do you have access to that where you are as well or um I'm not even sure if she's gotten a turkey this year or not. I'll have to check with her. But turkey always I, sounds amazing, but never, yeah. I've never had really like, I, I prefer chicken to turkey. Like, well, I love the brown meat. So as long as it's cooked so it's soft and moist, then I love it. I think you have to brine it. I think a turkey needs to be brined if you're going to make it. That's yeah. just my, my opinion. It's got to be well. Bucket, put some salt water with some spices in mm-hmm. it. Leave it there for a few days in the in the fridge if you've got something like that can fit it. Otherwise, mm. what's the point? What's the point? It's <laughs> big. They do look good. I tell you what, I had the other day though. Um, we have a new local organic chicken farm, and they sell they um, breed the summer lad chickens, which are enormous chickens, and it's something between a chicken and a turkey. I tell you, they are so big, and the meat's very brown and moist. Um, and I slow cooked one, well, it was slow roasted in the oven with a little bit of water in the tray and, and whole garlic and um, just covered it really well to hold in the moisture and cooked it probably three or four hours on 160. And then um, I had olive oil and herbs and spices. Three or four hours? The breath didn't dry out? No, because it's got water in the pan and it's covered. And then oh. I took the took the cover off and um it was all crispy on the outside and so soft and it was beautiful and i thought oh i should have saved that for christmas but it was too late we ate it (laughs) go quick i could could, but i'm really tempted to um, make the lamb the slow cooked lamb shoulder that's in our cookbook because that is my all-time favorite for any actually any excuse I yeah. love that lamp. That's a, it's one of my suggestions for today, but we, we haven't got no, into think, the names yet. So let's go. I think we should okay, we'll start address with, it like maybe start with breakfast. Know, breakfast, that kind of stuff. Let's okay. follow the book. Okay. All well, right. I always think it's good to start with Christmas breakfast because um, I can't stand having a really sweet breakfast. And that seems to be, you know, if you just sort of follow the usual trends, people just have a, I don't know, but, I know when we used to be a bit, you know, unhealthy back years ago, the kids would get their Christmas stockings, pull out all the chocolates and lollies and eat those for breakfast. And just the thought of that makes me feel really ill. (laughs) I always made something as well, but it was generally like a sweet um, cinnamon scrolls or something like that because that was our family's traditional Christmas breakfast. But um, I can't eat that these days. It just makes me feel sick. Um, yeah. So I'd much rather a savoury breakfast. So hold on. There's so, this, this idea, I think, that you can kind of overindulge over Christmas and, you know, as if it's mm. some kind of like, oh, this forgiven over Christmas, you know, because it's... Yeah, sort of like Christmas. It. Yeah, but um, <laughs> I don't know, man. My body doesn't forgive me anymore. I can't. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> what have you done? Why, why did you put this down my throat? It might work when you're five or ten, but... Not so well yeah. when you're getting close to 40, right? Or I'll past 40, as the case may be. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely closer to 40. Who? No, you're closer to 40 than I am. No, but you're closer to 40. Well, I'm 30. I'm close. Yeah, well, I'm 44. <gasps> Ooh, <gasps> told everyone now. I'm not ashamed of it. No, it's just the amount of times you've been around the sun. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it's kind of like they say that age is really like levels. And so, you know, the higher the level, the more awesome you are. Yeah. I know a lot of 90 year olds are absolutely horrible people. So it means oh. they start <laughs> just like the worst people then. on the planet, you know? So oh. if by the time they're 90, they're that horrible that means they started off somewhere really terrible so who knows um so so anyway, i'll do like a little bit of a, a sweet thing so i like i the apple cinnamon nut porridge i think that's a great christmas present. yes huh? that's not sickly sweet though no that's that i was going to mention that one because it has no sweetener added just a bit of apple and if you use like a a granny smith apple um, it's just the right sweetness. And it's got cinnamon, which is like a naturally yep. sweet spice. Like it doesn't actually have sweet yep. flavor, but it kind of elicits a, a sweet uh, flavor. So when you eat it, you mm. go, oh, that's more sweet than it actually is. And it's got yes. nutmeg, which is very Christmassy. So that, that's a good yep. Christmas breakfast. What's and it's, and it's um, you can make that one ahead. I have done that the day before and popped it in the fridge and then just warmed it up on the stove, add a tiny bit of water into your saucepan and just warm it up on the stove to serve that's it. it. That's it. Not that it takes that long to make anyway. It's very easy. Yeah, but if you're making like a large quantity as well. That's yeah. true, yeah. Um, what's next for you for breakfast? We, we usually have something um, savoury. So I'll make like there is a breakfast casserole on my blog or in the cookbook is the breakfast scramble. That's the sort of thing that we usually have that's like eggs with a bit of either mince or bacon, some veggies. Um, something that's either easy to chuck in the pan and just quickly fry. The cabbage and bacon is another good one. Um, or something that can be made ahead and heated. Um, I was thinking that Spanish tortilla. What do yeah, you reckon about that one? I think that's a good one. You can, you can definitely make that the day before and you can keep yeah, it in just the house, but we don't need to put it on, in the fridge, that stuff. Um, I, I wouldn't. Um, I mean, health and safety probably says you should, but I, I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in Spain they serve their tortillas. They they make it in the morning and they leave it, you know, there. And then whenever someone orders, they'll just take it out off the counter and right. serve it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I prefer a lighter breakfast for Christmas because Christmas lunch is you're gonna have a big meal. Yeah, yeah so that's why. And also, like, um, we celebrate Christmas Eve usually. So okay. we're gonna be at my brother's house this Christmas Eve, which usually is another big meal. So Lebanese people will have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have Boxing Day stuff. That, yeah. yeah. So we have two, two meals in a row that are quite big. So we make yeah. it a light breakfast. You don't want day. a big breakfast in the middle. No. So um, the coconut chai chia pudding with roasted berries, ah. I think that's a really good I was going to mention that one too. It's so pretty. I think you're going to mention all the ones I'm going to mention. So um, We've just got good, great minds. Think alike. Yeah. <laughs> It is. A, it's a pretty one. You can make a large batch of the chia pudding and then the roast berries, and then just layer that in the you know glasses and have everyone eat it and look so nice and Christmassy because of the strawberries and the berries and they look like you know Christmas. Mm. And um, then you send them off. You just say go go away, and then <laughs> that's it. They they'll eat that. They'll be happy. The chia and yeah. the filling. Fat. Yeah, and the coconut milk is quite quite high in fat, so that will keep them going for a while. And also, it's not too sweet, uh, so that makes it really good for blood sugar control so you don't get too many tantrums on your hands. Mm. Um, just my tip with that one, what I've often done is made go, go ahead and make it layered in pretty glasses, but don't put the cream on the top 
like just cover them and then in the morning put the cream on top because the cream kind of dries out a bit in the fridge otherwise. Good thing. The colours will be brighter if you layer it freshly. Don't even Very. bother layering it. Just put the strawberries on the side, put a big bowl and let people Yeah, that's help true. You can just do it that way. Yeah. Just yeah. keep easy. it simple. Don't worry about it. Yeah, um, it still looks pretty. Do you do any baking over Christmas? Baking? Yeah, like, yes. you know, what do you do? Um, well, like I said, we just did the grain-free gingerbread biscuits. Those uh-huh. are on the blog. But savoury um, baking, that kind of stuff? Savoury baking. I always have some kind of bread with Christmas lunch. That was um, Our family traditionally always had homemade bread rolls at Christmas lunch. My grandma always did it. My mum always did it. Um, so when... I went gluten-free, grain-free, all those things. I switched over to, you know, different recipes. So the grain-free bread formula in the cookbook has a lot of variations for those of you who want to keep away from the starchy grain-free breads. If you can handle a bit of starch, then obviously Fuad's amazing grain-free dough. Do you want to talk about that one? Yeah, so we um, released a 10 recipe ebook recently with the dough um so this dough we call it um what do we call it grain-free dough it's a basic grain-free dough okay that's what we call it in the book basic grain-free dough but um it's a really beautiful uh gluten-free grain-free dough which is very very versatile and in the ebook we have a whole bunch of recipes there for christmas so we've covered a lot of the stuff in that book Uh, all you need to get it is to subscribe to our newsletter and we'll send the ebook for free to you. And if you haven't done that, it's just really simple. You go to quirkycooking.com.au slash subscribe and we'll send the, the ebook to you. So things like the feta and mint pastries that we make there are like they're like little mini pitas. You can make them on a large pita. That's just so easy mm, to make. It's so yummy. Amazing. It's so delicious. I do want to make those. Do you reckon those could be frozen? Yeah, I think so. The feta? Yeah. I might try that because they're just so delicious. Lainey um, did for Sophie's birthday recently the uh, sausage rolls, the pork and fennel mm-hmm. sausage rolls, and she froze them the week before. And then yeah. for the birthday, we just put them in a tray and then reheated them, and they came out perfect. So yeah, even after they were cooked. So they cooked and frozen and then reheated was fine. That's what we do, yeah. yeah worked really well. So that's another uh, recommendation is the pork and fennel sausage rolls. Beautiful. And mm. definitely in line with that is the kale triangle. Um, I was thinking, yeah. What were you thinking? Um, you know how you talk about at our classes when we're talking about the grain-free dough, if you're serving a lot of people at once, it's easiest to do the oven-baked buns with the dough. Yes. And you can do the ham and cheese version if you want to. That's in the new grain-free ebook, um, Or you can just do plain with poppy seeds or sesame seeds, whatever. Um, and then there's all the trickier, fancier, pretty ones in the ebook as well. Yeah. All right. So the 10 recipes in the book, you can just yeah. go. Yeah, I'm here. Um, we do have terrible internet. But I, I Sorry. Have... No, that's cool. um, <laughs> Both of us. You know, back to breakfast. I was, I'm looking through the book now and I'm looking at the... Um, uh... I should mention also for those of you on Gap. Oh. No, go ahead. Oh, I'm just, I was going to say with breads, if you're on gaps, the fat bomb muffins, definitely try those. They are so delicious and they're very similar to the batter you use for, um, oh, what's that English thing? Uh, oops, I've suddenly forgotten. 
Uh, like have it the, with your roast dinner. Yeah, yeah um, Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> Thank you. Yorkshire puddings obviously wasn't raised in an English household. <laughs> so was this um, the, the fat bomb muffins? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, they're very like they turn out very much like a Yorkshire pudding. Um, I find them quite similar to that. So you can use that instead of the Yorkshire pudding if oh, you wanted a grain-free yeah. version. Yeah. I also like those for breakfast with a big dollop of yeah. sour cream and some strawberry jam. Mm-hmm. Or a big dollop of um, lemon butter. Lemon butter. So, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like like jam and cream. That's what, I love that. You can have jam and cream. That's right. fine. <laughs> okay. Now what were you going to say about um, breakfast? I was saying for breakfast, the fat bomb muffins would be. Oh yeah. Fantastic. That that was my idea as well. So. Okay. Yeah. So hold on, let's flip the page. We've covered breakfast and bakings. Um, I think if you're going to make a salad um, and sort of want something really, really simple, the red cabbage salad is very, very easy to make. Oh. It's also very cheap. Okay. Keeps your costs down during mm. Christmas, which can really overblow very easily. Now, in yes. the book, we have uh, a Lebanese cheese called Shankish that we use, but you don't need to use that. You can use feta instead of that. Mm-hmm. And um, okay. it, just add a bit of oregano and chili flakes into the salad. But what make, makes it really good is the addition of sultanas or uh, some crunchy red grape. And it's just Ooh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah, really, really nice. I, I used to make that salad at the restaurant and uh, people would come back for it, which was crazy. And huh. I, I, I used to do it because it cost me $2.50 and uh, I had a, it balanced out my expenses with the, the other more expensive mm. dishes. And I thought, you know, just have a simple salad that's cheap. And then people, it became a favorite. So, you know, that kept the yeah. restaurant afloat during those. Nothing better than a budget dish that everyone loves. Exactly. <laughs> What, what salad? Are you going to make a salad over Christmas? Oh, my favorite would probably be the roast veggie salad. Mm. Um, there's a way that you can do it if you if you um, sort of arrange it all on a really big white platter and like put all your veggies and then sprinkle your greens over it and do all the different things and then um, drizzle. I really like the tahini dressing. So that one isn't on the roast veggie recipe. It's on the um, the salmon, what do you call it? You the herb-crusted salmon. Herb-crusted salmon. Look at the, the tahini dressing or the tahini sauce in that recipe and drizzle that over the roast veggie salad. Fouad taught me this. It is so delicious. And you can make it look really pretty because it's so colourful um, on a big platter. tahini dressing on this salad, but we use tahini in so many different things and I just felt too embarrassed. Like, <laughs> You've over-tahinied yeah, everyone. Yeah, we don't want to use too much of it. But if you're going to use yeah. that tahini dressing, I recommend adding a little bit more lemon juice, salt and mm. water to it to thin it so down a bit uh, to make it a little bit more of a dressing because True. for the herb-crusted salmon, it's a bit too thick. I'll have to find my picture. I did um, one year. I did that, and it just looked so pretty. Oh, well, maybe I'll take another one. But that with the slow cooked lamb, don't you think that's a that's a good idea? Um, these, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Well, and maybe a second salad because you can't have too many salads on a hot day. The hazelnut tabbouleh definitely. That's a hard one to make, though. It's a, I mean, it's Can not you make hard. It ahead, like yeah. parts of it. Yeah, you could definitely chop everything up the day before and then mix it. I wouldn't do the tomatoes the day before, but everything No, else. but that's easy um, But I don't know. Like, um, yeah, I mean, look, I love it. I love tabbouleh. Of course, it's one of those with a bit of that we, we make all the time. Yeah, it, it is very festive and beautiful. You're right, you're right. But I don't know. I probably won't make it this year. I've, I've made what it are you going to make? Um, 
I, I, I want to try the calamari salad this year because I want to have a little bit of a like, Really? No. Because mm, I'm trying to decide. But yeah. You wrote everything down. I, I'd like to I know. I just wrote the whole book down. It's like the lady that emailed us the other day and said, I started putting post-it notes through all your book of what I wanted to make, but I gave up when every page had a post-it note. And I thought, I'll just put a post-it note on the front and say, make everything. <laughs> She's like, I'll save a tree while I'm at it. Made us <laughs> Pretty funny. Okay, sorry, I'll stop interrupting. Go ahead. Calamari no, salad. No, I mean, this is a conversation. <laughs> the calamari salad is really easy to make and um, not mm. too many people have made it so far. I think uh, it sounds, um, a lot of people just don't know how to cook calamari, but calamari is so simple to, to cook, really. You just, uh, just you can brush it down with a little bit of olive oil and then you um, barbecue it on one minute each side. It just takes two minutes mm. to cook it. So quick. And then when you let it cool down, you can just, uh, add in all these beautiful uh, fresh vegetables and herbs like mint and, um, you know, you can put some cherry tomatoes. And if you've got some kind of um, chili oil, like the one in the cookbook, mm-hmm. fermented chili that relish, that's really, really good with it. And you mix it all up and serve it. And it's just so impressive, even though it's so simple. And I think a seafood salad is always a winner. And it's, um, it's so good for the Australian climate. You know, it's just one of those things. That a lot of people have barbecues at Christmas for Christmas lunch. So that would be a perfect side for a barbecue, wouldn't it? Yes. And if you're Lebanese, it would be perfect. So Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I made that one um, when we were testing it and I had it on a big platter and I stuck it out on the dining room table and called my son and their friends. They were all here, these teenage boys, and they devoured it. They loved it. So there you go. It's kid-friendly. It is. It is beautiful. Mm. Um, And a lot of people just don't know how to cook calamari. It's really simple. And it's all there. Do it for sure. Yes. Are you a soup person over Christmas? I'm not really. I'm not a soup person. No, but I think there will be people listening that live in cold climates. So um, we yeah. should mention... Oh, I don't like those people who live in cold climates. <laughs> you jealous? <laughs> no, I love, I love my Aussie summer Christmas, actually. Yeah, I do yeah. too. I think it's great. I couldn't... Like, this is, this is the swimming time of year and it's Christmas and swimming just go together for me. So it would be hard to live in a cold place. You know, I grew up in Lebanon, so it was like every time you went to church for um, Christmas Eve, we did it yeah. Christmas Eve, you know, it felt like you were going through the same difficulties that they did 2,000 years ago, you know, like, oh, yeah. like, you had to park your car like a thousand miles away from the church. And <laughs> like, you felt like, you know, you needed some kind of guiding star to get you to the, to the actual the church. No way yeah so oh uh, no it's just very like drizzly and miserable and far away like, so we had to cold oh i was like a f- little fat kid so i didn't really like walking <laughs> so you know i come to australia and it's just like beautiful weather here it's just like oh yeah, so good. So good. i wouldn't yeah yeah I wouldn't give it back. Um, well if you do live in a cold place and you want a soup for entree um, the cream of broccoli soup is so, so simple. You can make it ahead and just warm it up and it's green. Yay. Can you it's have very a, yummy. Can you have it cold? Oh, no. I don't see why not. You probably could. Mm, like a chilled soup mm. would be cool. I don't know. Yeah, it would well, be cool. <laughs> yeah. well, we don't have a recipe for that. So find yourself a chilled soup if you live in a hot climate area. Also, if you're into the seafood for Christmas, sweet and sour prawn soup, that was a that's a really popular one. I um I hate that soup. Do you? Yeah. 
because right. I loved it. I used to love that soup. And then as I was developing, developing the cookbook, I drove to Snay's house and I took it there and we got a, a shot of it. Oh, yes, and then right. I was driving down through um, the, this range, like it was a, a crazy mountain between me and where Snay lives. And the scar was just like right up my, the back of my car, really, really pushy. And I had to maneuver in funny ways. And the uh, sweet and sour prawn soup, which has fish sauce in it, spilled in the boot of my car <laughs> and for around six months even though i cleaned it i sunned it i did everything i could i just every time i walked into the car it smelled like fish sauce and I, just, I, haven't had, I haven't had that soup since you've never eaten it again it's um, a bit like when you when you get a tummy bug and you the last thing you ate came up and you don't yeah. want to ever eat it again that's how I <laughs> it's a delicious soup though i recommend it to everyone so if you've never spilt it in the boot of your car go ahead and make it definitely definitely be, be safe practice safety when it comes to the soup otherwise <laughs> oh that would be heartbreaking oh, yeah. all right what about some sides well i think like the mussels with tomato and bacon that's a really Ooh, beautiful yeah. kind of um, side dish that you can could you, hmm? could you use oysters and do something similar oh like cooked oysters no not necessarily cooked but like with that with that topping i i definitely think you can i think um i'm just trying I, to think I, of ways to eat them. i'd steam the oysters so steam I'd them, steam them and, I'd, mm-hmm. and then i would put a uh, little bit of that sauce i'd make that bacony tomato sauce on top so it'd mm. be like like an isn't oyster kilpatrick with bacon it's like, yeah that's what i'm wondering i think i'll try that yeah. i'm supposed to be eating more oysters for um zinc yes yeah Definitely. Oysters are yes. wonderful. They're also okay. very sustainable when it comes to seafood. Yeah. And they don't bioaccumulate a lot of toxins, so that's really good. I have, the, I have the best seafood store here in my little town. So yeah. I'm going to go in and get some of this stuff. It's crazy. It's like yeah. local wild-caught stuff, so up here on the Great Barrier Reef area, well, a bit further north. So Do it. And cool. tell us what you get. get I some, will. Some of that king salmon. And yes, the Lebanese style herb and nut crusted salmon with that. Uh, with I did write that down too, but now I'm going to have to decide between that and lamb. It's uh, getting difficult. Don't, don't <laughs> do both. I have, you do both. <laughs> well, you know, you can drag Christmas out over a few days, right? Like you said, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then you've got New Year's. So, you know, somewhere in there, there will be salmon. King salmon. Let, let me tell you what I'm going to do. With, with Okay, tell me. I'm going to get uh, some king salmon fillets or some snapper fillets. I'm, I'm avoiding salmon these days. I'm just going to get some wild caught fish. Yeah. And I'm going to make that uh, herb and nut custard salmon recipe but with some other fish. And mm-hmm. I'm going to make it at room temperature. So it'll be a side dish really rather than yeah. a main dish. It'll look really beautiful, but people won't feel like they're eating a main. And then yeah. I'm going to make the, uh, the lamb but I'm going to turn it into a pilaf. So I'm going to slow cook the lamb shoulder and then I'm going to make some rice using the lamb stock and I'll put some Lebanese uh, seven spice mix. So mm. I'll fry that up in a little bit of the lamb fat. And, uh, I've had your pilaf before yeah, and it's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, really good. And then you just mm. put in the rice into the lamb fat and the spices. You coat it nicely and then you add liquids between, like, let's say two to one. So um, two cups of water to one cup of rice. Let's say that's the rice you're using. And then um, 
but out of that, the two cups of water, I mean liquid, I'll use um, some lemon juice instead of the water and some lamb stock instead of the water. So yeah. like a lemony, um, lemony, lamby, lamby, stocky kind of, uh, yeah. Peel. I see. And then um, if the lamb has been cooked the day before, or I'll, all I will do is I'll, after I pour everything onto the, the rice, I'll get the chunks of lamb and I'll put it on top of the rice so that it can reheat while the rice is cooking. And then, mm. then it's done. So then I will um, take the lamb out of the top, mix, uh, sorry, pour the rice into a beautiful large serving tray. And then on top, I'll put the chunks of the lamb, I'll put some uh, fried nuts on top, some fried mm. pine nuts or almonds and uh, pistachios, and um, serve it like that with some That sounds amazing. Uh, yeah. You should write that down because we do have a good a couple of good photos of the pilaf. We could share that on Facebook. The I think the photos we have is for the fish pilaf that I did for SBS. So I think that's the one. No, we have we have some. I'm sure we have some lamb ones because we were going to put it in the book. No, that's the fish one that was going to go into the book. Ah, you're right. Yeah. I have a lamb. I have you a picture of you holding the lamb pilaf on a big platter from Sarah's birthday party. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I love that dish because it's, it's beautiful. It's, yeah, it feeds a lot of people and it's so impressive. It's so easy to yeah. make as well. It's just ridiculous. For like a, a couple, I'm just going to mention a couple of side dishes. Yeah. Um, there's the cauliflower and um, leek mash. That's a good one if you're trying to keep the carbs down or you can't have starches at the moment if you're on gaps. Um, it, it's very similar to mashed potatoes, but tastier. It's very delicious. Um, there's the runner bean braise. That one is super simple. Hey. Yeah, really good. Yeah, really yeah. easy. Um, there's the the big half roasted pumpkin with the pesto sauce. You can easily make the pesto sauce ahead of time. And the pumpkin. Last time I did it, I just halved the pumpkin and put them in the hooded barbecue, and they came out so perfect. And we drizzled it with the pesto sauce and sprinkled over the nuts and seeds and yeah. everyone just went and there was kids like just gobbling it up saying this is so delicious i've never had pumpkin this good so try that one it's super easy the reason why it's good is you put it on the barbecue you close the lid and then um you put it skin down so the heat mm. from the barbecue will actually burn the skin but it won't burn the, the pumpkin and yeah so while it does that it actually smokes the pumpkin so it's got this kind of smoky flavor in there yes. so it's really it's just an, another like it's got more depth of flavor than just oh. a roasted. So good. Beautiful. Getting hungry? Um, I, had, I had a big breakfast. I had a really big Oh, breakfast. that's all right then. I made some, uh, I had have these fresh spring onions and fresh garlic. And I fried them up with a little bit of olive oil and butter. And then some Yum. grated zucchini on top. And then I fried that until most of the water had sort of gone from the zucchini. And then I cracked three eggs on top, a bit of salt. Mix it together and made like a you know a green egg thing. Scrambled. Did you say eggs. liver? No. Oh, I thought you said you had liver in there. Don't know where I what I heard that. The zucchini, really? grated zucchini. Sounded <laughs> <laughs> good. Uh, it is the liver of the vegetable. Vegetables. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to justify your madness somehow. Yeah, my my ears aren't working very well. Obviously. That's all right. Okay, we we better get cracking here because um. 
we, we're only up to sides. We have to get onto desserts. This is very important. Okay, tell me. Well, sides, uh, I always do Lebanese like dips. So, baba ghanoush. Okay. Oh, dip, dips, yes. Yeah. So, and what that, do you use to dip with? Uh, just crudités yeah so yes. it'll just be something either that goes on the side of the plate and you just eat it with your fork or we'll just have like some uh yeah fr- like cabbage cups or lettuce cups and um things like carrot and celery and that kind of stuff someone commented in the quirky cooking chat group the other day about the pate in the cookbook and they said it's the best pate they've ever tasted and it's better than maggie beers <laughs> Ooh, let me tell you about maggie beers it uses okay. margarine Oh no! Yeah, uh, I mean That's this sad. is this is the extent. Well, there you go. You can't you can't beat butter. Yeah, you can't beat butter. No. Well, my, yeah, no. it saddens me. This it makes me super sad yeah. that like this woman who like I think you know like her name has been over commercialized. I don't think she agrees yeah. with it. I can't like I, I think she's an awesome person. I just don't see how yeah. this is possible. How she could agree with yeah, yeah. Like someone who is an advocate for real food can do yeah. something like that. Yeah, shame. Yeah. Yeah, so make your own, guys. It's so make easy, especially if you have. And if you want crackers, the almond and buckwheat crackers are amazing. So try those. Yeah, they're in the cookbook as well. Um. So desserts. Can yes. I mention my favourite? I'm gonna trifle. Uh, Gotta have trifle. Don't talk to Fawad because he doesn't know about trifle. He's not from a trifle background. <laughs> I thought you said you don't eat trifle. I don't make it because it's just too hard. It just takes forever. Oh, um, I thought you didn't like it. I have an English wife, Joe. Oh, that's true. But I meant you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think trifle is amazing. Yeah, I, think I do too. Beautiful. But I'll just probably just make jelly and cream or something. Something really simple. I, well, what I do with the trifle is make all the parts and keep them separate in the fridge ready to put together and then mm. put it together you can put it together the night before, but if you can at all manage it, put it together on the morning of Christmas because the reds will be brighter in the coolie, in the raspberry coolie. I find the longer you leave it in the fridge, um, the, the coolie will kind of seep into the custard and it won't be quite as bright. But yes. that is just the, like I have made that for people who are not into health in any way, shape or form. Um, and I've told them it's dairy-free, grain-free, and they're just like, oh, my goodness. And then they eat it and come back for seconds and they love it. They try the trifle. Yeah, because healthy food is more delicious than unhealthy food. Of course it is. But, yeah, so I what's I'll, your... I'll, use, I'll use some some aspects of your trifle, I think. You know, maybe like okay. or something like that. Like I don't know. But recently I did make a beautiful pudding um, using uh, – yes. I just innovated a recipe, which was super easy to make. So I might mm-hmm. I might make that um, and then just serve it with some some of your Russian custard and some yeah. food or something like you know, it, like a really simple trifle kind of thing. Well, the the roasted berries with Russian custard was my second um, option because both of those are so simple and so delicious together. Yeah, my kids love those. We, we, um, we like a little bit of like um, alcohol. Can't hear you very well. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? That's now? better. Yes. Yeah. You sound like you were underwater for a sec. We might make like a boozy kind of pudding now that I'm thinking about it. So like put a little bit of sherry on like the pudding. Oh yeah. That would be really good. And just a just and a what do you mean the pudding 
which so I've got this putting. this cake that I'm developing. I don't know if I can make it in time. We might be able to share it. Like I have to. Yeah. So, but then I'll get that, and then I think it would be really awesome if I had this cake and then I soaked it with a little bit of sherry. Um, or yeah, a syrup sort of. made with sherry and honey or something like that or sherry and maple syrup and that would go on top and then I'll put on top of that a little bit of like whipped cream and some uh, some jelly I think that would and be incredible I just I'll, I don't know I, this, this uh, it's too much it's too much for me you can't think of it all at the moment. Um, there's a couple of pies in the cookbook too. You're the dessert queen, like you know, you I love those little things forever. And I love. This is my favorite part of parties and celebrations is making something really pretty. So, I actually don't mind spending time in the kitchen at Christmas doing something like this because I enjoy it. But I don't want to have to do hours of work in the kitchen. No. So that's why I make all the parts ahead of time and then just assemble it on the day. And I also love the um, the apple pie and the pecan pie, the salted caramel pecan pie, because both of those can be made ahead and even frozen and um, just refresh it in the oven um, before you serve it and serve it up with some of our dairy-free ice cream. That so is so the, the pecan pie and what? Sorry, what did you say? The apple pie or the apple. salted caramel pecan pie and serve uh, it up with some cream or some of the dairy-free ice cream that we've got in the book. Beautiful. Yeah. And right. my all-time favorite pie, though, sorry, I forgot to mention this, is the grapefruit pie. Yeah. And I don't think many people have tried that yet. Um, I should maybe do a little video of it because it's, it's not actually hard. No. Um, it, it's a little bit time consuming to fillet the grapefruit, but once you get the hang of it, it's really quick. And that is the most refreshing pie on a hot day. It's super, super refreshing. I love that one. I think also the date and cardamom tart is really, mm. really simple. That one takes like really very, very little hands-on time to make. It's yes. like an entirely thermomix recipe if you got one or if not, it's just yeah. you got to, yeah, you got to, mix things until they thicken and they set but like it's just so easy so so easy and it's and that one like serves a, a lot of people because it's so rich you can cut thin slices do it do that one yeah yeah oh there's so many choices <laughs> i think we've covered a lot and you know what yeah. and they're all gluten-free as well which brings they're us to the topic of the podcast that we we've got on today yes. Did you have any other recipes you wanted to talk about before? We... No, that uh, I should mention the nutty chocolate and the jellies. Those are great little treats as well yeah. to make. Yes, you. you love that nutty chocolate. Try those. Mm. And Lain, the shortbread. made a <laughs> big bag of that stuff. It's in the freezer. So, oh, well done. Yeah, it's all ready. But we, yes, we better introduce the podcast because um, before we do, um, we will talk a little bit about our, our sponsors. We have Solid Tech. Mm -hmm. For Australia's leading healthy cookware company, they make incredible wrought iron cookware that is virtually indestructible. They um, give you a multi-generational warranty over this, so your great-grandchildren can cash in when they break it, which they won't. It, it can't happen. Mm -hmm. um, this stuff is incredible. We've been using it for a few years now. We love it. It seasons just like cast iron, but it's much lighter weight. Uh, I use the 26 centimeter skillet, which is uh, just an incredible skillet to use. And they use it in professional kitchens around the world. And Joe, you, you like the 30 centimeter one because you've got a bigger family. Yeah, um, 
I actually love the new one, which is 33 or 35, but that one's still on Kickstarter. It'll be out soon. Oh, I didn't I get that one. Oh. I got a prototype. They love you <laughs> way more than they love no. you. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I'll let you borrow it. Yeah, no, it's all right. I love my 26 centimeter <laughs> one. So yeah. it's just really useful. And, and I don't have a gas cooktop yet, so I find the okay, smaller yeah. ones work better. Um, yeah. So I'm hopeful. And you can use them on induction also. Yes. Just yeah. Cast yeah. iron sort of doesn't do too well on uh, induction because it kind of has like a heat spot where the induction gets in contact, but electric conducts heat better and it works better basically for uh, these things for, for cast iron. But when, if you've got induction and you want to use the wrought iron pans, which solid techniques have, they work beautifully because they're quite thin and mm. they uh, conduct heat very, very well. So yep. we have a ten um, percent discount on Solid Techniques products on our website. You can go to quirkycooking.com/solid and get ten percent off your order if you use the coupon code ten QCP. So that's one zero QCP for Quirky Cooking Podcast. Um, also, with Lida, Joe, do you want to introduce them? Yep. So natural, non-toxic skin and body care products. Walida are our favorite. And you can go to the website, willita.com.au, and have a look at their range. They have a gigantic range, which I feel like I've only just scratched the surface of. And um, I'm getting ready to place another order, and I'm going to get all different things that I haven't tried yet. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be my Christmas present to myself. (laughs) Um, And they're organic, biodynamic, and made using high-potency plant botanicals. So head over to walita.com.au and use our coupon code QuirkyJourney and you can get 15% off at the moment, which is a Christmas special and free postage if you get over $90 worth. Uh, and also not one of our sponsors, but this is a company that uh, creates really high quality water filters. Uh, they're called Zazen and they're giving us 15% to our listeners. So mm. the coupon code for Zazen is uh, Quirky Christmas. So Zazen is a, great bench stop water filter and if you're still drinking chlorinated water you're doing your body a disservice because it will um, go into your body and block certain receptors in your cells that may means that your uh, hormones aren't running efficiently that your metabolism isn't efficient as well so go in and clean your water with mm-hmm. zazen at zazen.com.au and use the coupon code quirky christmas for 15 percent off i think the offer is till the 20th of uh, december so do this quickly and now on to our podcast dr tom o'brien wow what a great podcast that was with wow ryan so good i like i think you should definitely get all your family and friends to listen to this podcast on gluten um it gave me a few aha moments and i took notes while we were doing the podcast because it was so good it's an eye-opener for us, wasn't it, Joe? Mm, very much so. Like Even for people who have been off gluten for as long as we have, we learned a lot on this yep. podcast, and he articulates gluten issues so well because um, it's quite needed. Like A lot of people have a lot of trouble understanding the problems with gluten and why it's doing them harm. And mm. we think this episode will be very, very useful for you to share with your friends and family so that you can get them off the poison that they're putting in their mouth three, four times a day. So important to listen to. And even if you've been off gluten yourself, you learn so much with this one as well. Dr. Tom O'Brien is uh, one of the leading uh, speakers on uh, 
avoiding gluten and the dangers of gluten in the world. And it was a real honor and privilege to have him on the show. Mm-hmm. And um, we can't for, wait for you to, to really hear what he has to say. But um, he also has some um, extra details on uh, gluten and the problem with gluten on his website. Joe, do you want to share those details? Yeah, so he has a um, series of videos called Betrayal, the Autoimmune Disease Solution, They're Not Telling You, um, where he talks through, um, I'm not sure how many videos it is, but quite a few, um, where he goes into detail about what gluten does to your body, um, how how it affects um, autoimmune, um, what it, how it causes inflammation, all these sorts of things and, and what to do about it, chronic fatigue, MS, all of those sorts of things and how people have um, reversed their MS and RA and chronic fatigue through getting rid of gluten out of the diet um, as that's the biggest step, he says. And then he also talks about lots of other tips um, like removing toxins, all the sorts of things that we talk about, but just the way that he explains um, the whole problems with gluten and what to do about it, it's just very, very clear. And you can watch those videos for free. We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, it's the Betrayal documentary, and you can watch it for free. And then if you want to keep it, then you can get it for $47 through his website, um, which is quite affordable because it's a lot of information. Wonderful. I think it's nine episodes, sorry, nine episodes. Yeah, he's interviewed uh, leading experts from around the world on this topic and also people who have reversed their illness by avoiding gluten and uh, he's documented how that went for them. So it's really Mm. fun stuff. And he's the author of several books on the topic which he addresses in the podcast. So have a listen, get really educated on this stuff. And uh, if you still haven't gone off the gluten, I highly recommend you listen to this so you can understand at least the extent of the damage that you're doing to yourself. Don't be afraid. Listen, face your fear. And all you have to do is <laughs> get off the gluten and you'll feel so much better for it. So, uh, and don't worry, we have good options for gluten-free bread oh, that are amazing. <laughs> it's so good. Like, Joe and I are still... It's not hard anymore. Six years and I still have, you know, I haven't lost my sense of humor just because I've quit gluten. No, no. You're going to be fine. You're going to be better than ever. So if you haven't quit, <laughs> quit this stuff, have a listen to the podcast and understand why you should. And um, we'd love to hear from you. If you like this episode, mm-hmm. give us a good rating on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. And uh, we'll move on to the show. And uh, we'll get to you, I think, one or two times before Christmas, maybe once, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. have, a, have a great time and we'll catch you later. Dr. Tom O'Brien, welcome, and thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Where are you at the moment? Uh, I'm at home, which is a bit of an exception, which I'm happy to say. <laughs> we know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that is um, just north of San Diego uh, in a small town called Encinitas. Oh, wow. All right. I'm going to check it out, see yeah. what, what that kind of town looks like. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, Dr. Tom, we're really excited to talk to you about uh, gluten. This is one of those topics that um, we're highly allergic to. So, (laughs) you know, we're trying to get to the bottom of why gluten is such a big problem for uh, pretty much everyone that we meet and to address um, a lot of questions that people have around gluten. So um, can you... may May I suggest you take out the words we meet? And uh, when you say it's pretty much of a problem for everyone we meet, yeah. 
<laughs> Take out the words we meet for yeah. everyone. I was going <laughs> yes. to ask you that how common you find it. So pretty much everyone. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so here's here's the bottom line. You know, if you just read the science, the science is really clear. Mm. No human has the enzymes to break down wheat, the proteins of wheat, into the individual amino acids that are the only molecules of protein that are supposed to get through the intestines into the bloodstream. Mrs. Patient, Mrs. Patient, your immune system, back that up, your, your intestinal tract is a tube. You know, it starts at one end and it goes down to the other, it starts at the mouth, goes down to the other end, and it's one big long tube, 20, 25 feet long, and it twists around, winds around inside the, the abdomen. The inside of the tube is lined with uh, cheesecloth. The reason that it's lined with a cheesecloth is called the intestinal epithelial lining. The reason that it's lined with a cheesecloth is because only the tiniest of molecules are supposed to be able to get through the cheesecloth and get into the bloodstream. So when you eat proteins of any type, any type of protein, Hydrochloric acid, if you think of proteins like a pearl necklace, hydrochloric acid made in the stomach undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you have a string of pearls. Your enzymes that are that come from the pancreas, the gallbladder, the liver, the microbiota, enzymes act as scissors to cut the pearl necklace into each smaller clumps and smaller clumps and smaller clumps of the pearl necklace clumps of the pearls until you get down to each individual clump or pearl of the pearl necklace. Those are called amino acids. And those go right through the cheesecloth into the bloodstream. And then your body uses those amino acids as the building blocks to build new bone cells, new brain hormones, new liver enzymes. Uh, All the cells that we make require protein as part of their construction. And the protein comes from the individual amino acids. And only the individual amino acids, and maybe two amino acids together called a dipeptide, are supposed to get through the cheesecloth to get into the bloodstream. The problem with wheat is that no human has the scissors to cut wheat down into each pearl of the pearl necklace. So if you are listening to this podcast, if you are human, (laughs) you do not have the scissors to break it down into each pearl of the pearl necklace. So those clumps of the pearl necklace that you're left with in the intestines, your immune system says, whoa, what is this? This is not good for me. And you, your immune system that is, that is, tears the cheesecloth. When the inflammation tears the cheesecloth, now bigger clumps of the pearl necklace can get through the tears in the cheesecloth into the bloodstream. So let me let me just get this uh, really clear here. So let's say someone who has a very intact cheesecloth, they don't have any problem with intestinal permeability, and they eat gluten just from the fact that they can't break it down and it's just sitting there in their gut. It's going to damage the cheesecloth through an immune response, even though they're healthy. That is correct. Um, Holland, H-O-L-L-O-N, Holland and his team at Harvard published on this in 2014. There are seven papers I've got, but Holland's is the most recent in 2014. And they said 
every human gets intestinal permeability when they're exposed to wheat. Every human. Now, the fastest growing cells in the body are the inside lining of the intestines. Every three to five days, you have a new lining to your intestines. So those cells are constantly turning over like the skin of a snake, just shedding and shedding and shedding. That single cell lining called the epithelial lining, the cheesecloth, fastest growing cells in the body. So you eat a, a toast for breakfast, you tear the lining, but it heals. You have a sandwich for lunch, you tear the lining, but it heals. Pasta for dinner, you tear the lining, but it heals. Day after week, after month, after year, after year, after year. And if that were the only um, irritant that you were taking in, you may get away in a lifetime and never have a reaction that you notice to wheat. Hmm. But that's not, that's not the only irritant that comes in. Think about GMO foods. Think about bisphenol A. Think about red dye number three. Think about chlorine and water. Think all of the toxic exposure. The most toxic source to the human body is what's on the end of your fork. Mm. <laughs> day in, day out, day after day after week after month after year after year after year, there's more inflammation, inflammatory triggers going down there until one day there are so many inflammatory triggers the healing capacity of the inside lining of the gut can't keep up with all of the inflammation. And then, then you get the tears in the cheesecloth that don't heal. Right. So everyone gets tears in the cheesecloth, intestinal permeability, every time they eat wheat. But, and, and that's just the science. Read the science. Hmm. But it's when you cross a threshold. It's called loss of oral tolerance. And if you Google loss of oral tolerance, you will see, here come the studies. There are many, many studies on this mechanism that when you cross a threshold, and it can be when you're two years old, 22 years old, 92 years old, whenever you cross the threshold, now wheat becomes an added trigger, and it can be the mechanism that initiates and fuels whatever degenerative disease you get. I've heard you talk about um, different types of gluten. So you say toxic gluten and non-toxic mm. gluten. And um, you mentioned wheat now in particular. And it kind of gives me the impression that there's types of uh, gluten in certain grains that are bad for you and some types of gluten that aren't actually as harmful for you. And I want to look at maybe the ancient grain variety of uh, wheat and gluten uh, that was contained in those compared to the new type of grains and also the other grains that we typically don't think of as gluten as things like rice and corn, but they contain a form of gluten. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes, of course. Good question. Really good question. Uh, uh, gluten is not bad for you. Bad gluten is bad for you. Mm. And it's the gluten protein. Gluten is a term for a family of proteins in most grains. It's the gluten proteins in wheat, rye, and barley that we do not have the enzymes to break down. No human. No human. So the gluten proteins of corn, the gluten proteins of rice, the gluten in quinoa, uh, they are not necessarily, across the board, toxic to you. However, there is something called cross-reactivity, that when you make antibodies to wheat, as an example, 50% of celiacs, uh, if you eat corn, you get more antibodies to wheat. Or 
uh, uh, it's because the food looks similar enough that once this mechanism to protect you is turned on, your immune system becomes almost a little trigger happy. Uh-huh. That's something, something that looks similar to the protein structure of the peptides of poorly digested wheat. If there's something that looks similar to it, your immune system will say that's wheat and your wheat antibodies go up. Now, in terms, in ter- one more thing, in terms of quinoa, they published a paper uh, in 2015 where they looked at 15 cultivars of quinoa. Oh, quinoa, that's a wonderful grain, healthy grain for you. You know, it grows on the plateaus um, uh, at elevation in Peru. No, it grows in the U.S. Oh, no, 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 it grows on plateaus at elevation at Peru. No, it grows in the U.S. Oh, no, 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 it comes from Peru. Yes, it did originally, but they crossbred crossbred the quinoa from Peru with grasses from the midlands of the United States. And so now, because there's a market for it, a lot of quinoa comes from the United States. But it was crossbred with grasses that grow in the plains in the Midwest. So they looked at 15 cultivars of quinoa. What did they find out? Four cultivars of quinoa had toxic levels of wheat in them. Huh. The, the, the wheat gluten proteins. Four of the 15 cultivars. You eat wow. quinoa and you think you're safe and you're not. So why you is may that? be. Uh, well, because they crossbred it with the grasses from the Midwest of the U.S. And some of those grasses have very similar protein structures to wheat. Mm. And so quinoa can be toxic to you. I mean, it's a terrible problem, mm. just a terrible problem. Uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that the, the inadvertent exposures to wheat that people have, and they don't know they're having these exposures, but it's one of the main re- mechanisms as to why people don't get optimum health on a gluten-free diet. Yeah. It's because they're still getting exposure to toxic gluten proteins and they don't know it. So is it safe to say that um, gluten is in grains, but not probably in, say, root vegetables and other types of vegetables and fruits? So is it only in the grain family of food? That is correct. Okay. So um, the I want to go back to my original question about the older varieties of wheat and things like spelt and kamut. And just to look at that a little bit and see, do you know if there's any difference in the chemical makeup of gluten between the older varieties and the newer varieties of wheat? Yes, I do. Um, I've, I've read the papers on that, and I'll say two things about it. The first thing is many people say, well, it's in the Bible that wheat's good for you. And my immediate response is, with all due respect, no one on the planet is eating the bread that Jesus Christ ate. Yeah. <laughs> Stop saying that. Yeah. Stop hiding behind the Bible to eat your cookies. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> so true. You, you know, you know uh, uh, but, but the, the scientific answer, the more uh, rational answer, is that once your body crosses the line of oral tolerance and you make antibodies, to these peptides, these clumps of the pearl necklace of wheat, and there are 62 different peptides that have been identified that your immune system may react to. Once you make antibodies to the peptides of poorly digested wheat, the ancient strains have those same peptides. 
Hmm. Or they're ex- very, very similar so that, and they, they've looked at this in detail and they've published on it. You still trigger an immune response. So if you catch someone, you know, theoretically, if we were to expose um, new, not newborns, but infants to the ancient strains of wheat, never expose them to the more modern strains so their immune system never gets activated to fight these things. All humans react to the current wheat, all humans do. And when you cross the line, you start making antibodies. Now you're toast for the rest of your life. That was a joke, uh, but true. We make jokes like you for one. But if you were to um, uh, introduce the ancient strain to um, a toddler when you're introducing solids to them, and the window is between um, uh, somewhere between four and nine months uh, to introduce tiny amounts of ancient strain of the wheat. There's no papers published on this, but theoretically it makes sense uh, that that person may not develop the sensitivity to wheat that all humans do because humans are exposed to the commercialized strains And once you cross the line and make the antibodies, elevated antibodies to it, it's permanent. It doesn't go away. It's permanent. So if you don't get to that point of crossing the line and losing oral tolerance, could those people theoretically eat pizza from ancient strains of wheat? Yes, they could, theoretically. But it's pretty much impossible in our day and age, you're saying, to avoid... That's uh, right. Dr. Do- you mentioned uh, about like the insidious sources of, of wheat as well. So that means even if someone hasn't been eating the wheat, it, it's probably in their shampoo, in their makeup, mm. things like that too, right? Two scientists from the FDA, three scientists from the FDA, um, uh, published in 2015, they looked at um, uh, 286 foods labeled gluten-free. By law, they have to be gluten-free and 180 foods that were naturally gluten-free, such as rice cakes, rice salt water. That's naturally gluten-free uh, for, for the toxic glutens. They, they looked at this close to 500 foods and they did two different types of laboratory tests called ELISA testing on the, all 500 foods. What did they find? For those foods that were labeled gluten-free, 97.8% of them were gluten-free. You know, and as an industry, that's pretty good uh, when all but 2% um, are gluten-free. That's pretty good. Unless you're a celiac and you get one of that 2% of foods, then you're toast. It doesn't matter. You're toast for months, for months, from one exposure. But those foods that were naturally gluten-free, 24.7% of them had toxic levels of gluten. One out of four of the... uh, uh, foods um, that you read the label and there's no wheat in there, no wheat byproducts, one out of four had toxic levels of gluten in them. Hmm. And the, hmm. the majority of them uh, contained oats because oats are commonly contaminated, commonly. But some of them um, did not contain oats. It was nuts and seeds and other grains that had toxic levels of gluten in them. So it's an overwhelming concept to realize when you read the science that it is impossible to protect your family 
from being exposed to inadvertent sources of wheat. It's almost right. impossible. That's why uh, only 8% of celiacs heal. Um, 65% get better, but only 8% of them heal. And that's why it's because of these inadvertent exposures that are still causing, well, that's one reason why. There's a few reasons. There's, it's the inadvertent exposure that still triggers the inflammatory response. And I knew about this for years because I read the papers, the research papers, and I would talk about it on stage. And finally, I met a couple of scientists, one who six years and the other seven years they'd been working on coming up with an enzyme that would really work because all of these gluten digesting enzymes that are out there, um, if it's a good enzyme, it likely works. The problem is it takes three to six hours for them to digest this really tough protein that the human digestive tract can't break down. It takes three to six hours. And the sentries standing guard to protect you in, inside your gut are called den dendritic cells. They're right inside the first part of the small intestine. So anything that comes out of the stomach that is potentially inflammatory, like these peptides of wheat, it activates the dendritic cells, which turn on the whole inflammatory cascade. So you eat a food and you take most of the digestive enzymes that are out there, they're going to work three to six hours after you take them. But now the food's already down into the large intestine. So your small intestine is all inflamed and the systemic inflammation has begun because the enzymes take way too long to work. Yeah, too late then. It's, right, it exactly. doesn't actually do anything. So, well, no, they do help if you've got rectal symptoms or, you know, they do help, but, but, okay. they, but they're not complete. Okay. So, so I met these two scientists and together we worked on this for two years um, uh, and we came up with enzymes, 99% full degradation of all wheat, inadvertent exposures to wheat, corn, soy, egg, peanuts, fish, proteins, shellfish, 99% in 60 to 90 minutes, complete digestion. Wow. And that product is called E3 Advanced Plus, the letter E, like for, for enzymes, E3 Advanced Plus. And it works really well. So we get lots of testimonials. On, uh, thank you so much. At last, I can go out to dinner with my husband, you know, for people that are so sensitive that they have a reaction. So, so you would take that before you eat? Exactly. Right before, not during the meal, unless you um, uh, really suspect um, uh, an exposure, then you'll take it before and during, but before, so nothing gets through. It sits at the bottom of the stomach waiting, and nothing gets through that hasn't so been digested. Are we saying this enzyme is to allow you to eat like a pizza, or is it to protect you from just these trace sources of gluten that you might not be aware of, Like, and do you still need to avoid it as best you can? Well, you know, you're 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 thinking like an American now. <laughs> he just knows that we'll get asked that. <laughs> how much how much think can I get away with? Yeah, uh, exactly. And that that's what people ask. And so, you know, I, I I used to not tell them this, but you know, now I'll just tell you: one capsule will digest a full slice of whole wheat bread. Uh, but uh, but it's foolish. Yeah. to risk any games, you know, because you can't mess with the immune system. It's not going to be fooled. If it gets activated, one exposure, one crouton, if you get activated, if your immune system gets activated, you've got elevated antibodies for two to six months. Wow. From one 
exposure. That's what I wanted those, to ask those, you because I tell my kids books. this and they don't listen to me, so now they can listen to you. <laughs> yeah, you bet. You bet. So, so why does it take that long? Why is it why? Six, wow. up to six months? Of, how, how come that takes so long for the immune system to go back to normal? When you get a vaccination for measles, they give you a shot of the bug, measles. Your immune system, your brain says, whoa, what's this? This is not good for me. You, yo, immune system, general. And there are many generals in your immune system, Army, Air Force, Marine Corps generals sitting around with nothing to do. General, you now are general measles. Take care of this. General measles builds an assembly line. Takes a couple of months, builds an assembly line. That assembly line produces special forces, soldiers, trained specifically to go after measles. So they get out into the bloodstream and they're traveling everywhere in the bloodstream with high powered rifles looking for measles. Anywhere they see measles, they fire their chemical bullets called cytokines and they destroy the measles. Mm -hmm. General measles is watching all of this. And when all of the measles from the vaccination have been killed off, general measles says, "Okay, turn off the assembly line. I don't need any more soldiers right now. Then your antibody load goes down. But General Measles is now vigilant the rest of his life. He's called a memory B cell. For the rest of his life, if you ever get exposed to measles, General Measles just has to flip the switch. Does not have to build the assembly line again that takes months. That's why if you go to Africa, you need vaccinations two to three months ahead of time for yellow fever, dengue fever, all these weird diseases so that there's enough time to get protection. But if you go back 15 or 20 years later, you just need a booster shot two weeks before you go. You just have to wake up general measles again. Mm -hmm. the, the same thing is true with wheat. Once you cross the line and you make elevated antibodies to wheat, you've got a memory B cell. It never goes away. It's memory. It's your body's memory. It's there to protect you forever. So when you're exposed, General Gluten turns on the assembly line, just has to hit the switch. Now the assembly line runs for anywhere from four to six weeks to make sure you've killed off all the measles, killed off all the gluten. It's running for four to six weeks. And the lifespan of the antibodies is anywhere to two to three months once they're made. So they're in circulation, just traveling around all the time, looking for measles or looking for gluten everywhere they go. So when you get one exposure, after you've lost oral tolerance, you now will get antibodies for anywhere from two, three, up to six months. That's why it takes so long. So unlike, uh, say, a viral infection or a bacterial infection, when the immune system attacks and actually successfully kills the, um, the invader, what happens to the gluten? Because it's not actually a living molecule. Um, well, what yeah, goes yeah, on well, there? Yeah, no, it's the same thing. It's the same mechanism. It's, it's cytokines that destroy the, the, the cell structure of the bacteria, that destroys the cell structure of the wheat molecules, just breaks it down into debris and gets rid of it. Right, so that actually does take place. So the immune system does effectively, uh, it's capable of breaking down the gluten as it enters into the bloodstream? Uh, uh, well, not not as it enters into the bloodstream. That, that would be great. Um, yeah. it, you know, it gets yeah. activated, and, activated uh, sure. and and then you're off to the races. And remember, there's no 
lanes of traffic in the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. Everything's just going in the same direction, but it's all bouncing around in there. And so we like to think of the antibodies as Arnold. Here in California, we, we call him the governator, right? <laughs> yes. you know, he's, he's up there in his big Humvee with his head out the sunroof, got the big dark glasses on, the black leather jacket, over there, over there. Bullets <laughs> everywhere. You do that well. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> that is the mechanism for what I'm about to describe to you, which is called molecular mimicry. And this is the real problem with wheat. This is what it comes down to. Yeah. So Arnold has been trained by General Gluten to go after that specific, specific peptide, the structure of that specific peptide. Remember, there are many clumps of the pearl necklace from poorly digested wheat. So you may have antibodies to many, and we've had many patients that have 10, 15 different clumps of the pearl necklace they're making antibodies to. Mm. But let's just take one. When you're making antibodies to the most common one that most places in the world, the laboratories only look for one of the 62 peptides. They look for one called alpha-glidin, and they say they're testing for a wheat sensitivity. No, they're not. They're testing for an alpha-glidin sensitivity, which is one of the 62 possible sensitivities. And there's more than more than 62, but they've identified 62. So you now have this um, special forces soldier looking for the molecular structure of alpha-glidin. And I'm going to say it's AABCD, but that molecular structure is 33 amino acids long that the soldier is looking for. Well, what immunologists tell us, and there are a number of papers on this concept of molecular mimicry that tell you it only takes six amino acids in sequence of the 33. You don't need all 33 amino acids in sequence. All you need is six of them in a row for the special forces soldier to get confused and say, oh, look over there, there's one. He's hiding, but there's one. And he mm -hmm. fires his chemical bullet at that. So you've got special forces in the bloodstream going past the thyroid as an example. The inside surface of the thyroid facing the bloodstream is made up of proteins and fats on the surface. Those proteins on the inside surface of the thyroid facing the bloodstream include AABCD mm. as part of the hundreds of amino acids of the proteins that make up the surface of the thyroid facing the bloodstream. It includes AABCD. So now you've got Arnold looking for AABCD and over there, and he fires his chemical right. book at it, and now you damage the thyroid cell. Right. right. So the, the wheat antibody damages the thyroid cell. Not a big so, deal. Wait, hold on. Yeah, not, yeah. not a big deal. Except you have toast for breakfast, pasta for lunch, sandwich for dinner, mm -hmm. more soldiers, more soldiers, more soldiers. And if your genetic vulnerability to molecular mimicry is your thyroid, you keep attacking the thyroid. You keep attacking the thyroid, attacking the thyroid, attacking the thyroid. And eventually, you develop the autoimmune disease of the thyroid called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Very, very common. Or if genetic vulnerability is to myelin, which is a saran wrap that covers your nerves, the antibodies to wheat go after myelin. That's MS. That's the mechanism of MS. Or if the genetic vulnerability you have is to your joints, the antibodies go after the antibodies to wheat go after your joints. And that's rheumatoid arthritis. So it goes on and on and on. There are hundreds of articles on all of these different conditions, they get so much better when you get them off of wheat. Yeah. And this is the 
very mechanism as to how it happens. So this is a really important point to focus on for the listeners that we're talking here about the root cause of autoimmune diseases. So uh, when an inflammation or an inflammatory response happens in the immune system towards wheat, if there's a part of you that kind of looks like wheat, your body is going to continue to uh, attack that and it will create your specific autoimmune symptoms or autoimmune disease. And then if you are, for instance, you've got uh, a thyroid issue, the doctor is going to try to treat the thyroid or if you've got like an autoimmune arthritis, they're going to try to, to deal with that. But none of them is actually dealing with the underlying issue and the fact that the, auto, uh, the immune system is actually hyperactive and attacking your body when it shouldn't be. So then taking the gluten out of the diet makes the immune system a little bit calmer and that way those specific uh, receptor sites within the body are not being attacked anymore. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of case studies published in the medical literature reversing schizophrenia mm. on a wheat-free diet, reversing Hashimoto's on a wheat-free diet, eliminating symptoms of MS on a wheat-free diet, clearing up the skin on psoriasis on a wheat-free diet. Now, obviously, every psoriasis patient, this is not the cause of it. But what the literature tells us is 28% of psoriasis patients have elevated antibodies to wheat. 28, one out of four have elevated antibodies to wheat. This is a critical concept for people to understand. That's why my book that came out last year, The Autoimmune Fix, is so important to read. Mm. Shameless plug, shameless plug. <laughs> Go for it. That's good. It's not because it's not because it's my book, it's because you really need to get this. This is the primary mechanism for all degenerative diseases is autoimmunity, your immune system trying to protect you. And this book goes through, it's not only wheat, of course, it's bisphenol A, the chemical that is used in molding plastics, mm. it's uh, uh, air pollution, it's bacteria, They're, the, the mechanisms of molecular mimicry are not limited to wheat. But wheat is the most common food that the research has demonstrated can trigger different autoimmune diseases. So really, it's the first thing people should always look at. First thing to take exactly. out. Exactly. And then work on the others. Well, what do you see with, um, say, the ways that we used to prepare wheat? Because I've heard this said before and people kind of always whenever you tell people to get off wheat they're gonna come up with an excuse and they'll say first of all they'll say like i love my pasta or i love my bread and they use the word my as if it's like theirs you know <laughs> like yeah. smeagol from lord of the rings like my precious don't <laughs> yes. take it away from me but yes. um the, there's such a resistance to it and then people start going well maybe i can move to sourdough and there's a like some like an argument that's floating out there but i don't really know the science whether it's true or not it's, it says that sourdough fermentation like a prolonged fermentation of an ancient grain will denature the proteins and, and that the gluten will be somewhat pre-digested and won't elicit an immune response is that correct you know, I, uh, there's a song that's going through my head, you know, from the 1960s. This is my story, sad but true. <laughs> so people make stuff up. Now, there's no question that fermentation helps to break down proteins. There is not one study that has ever shown after you cross the line 
and you've got memory B cells to wheat, you've got elevated antibodies to wheat by eating sourdough bread or any other type of normal uh, wheat containing breads, you're able to calm down the, the immune response. There's not one study, mm. not one, not in mm. test tubes, not in humans. There's not one study. There's a whole lot of hope. And of yeah. course, the industry, the industry would love it to, you know, to be able to stand their ground on that, but they can't. You know, but but they try, and so people will come up with this and um, um, show me the study where your immune system calms down uh, what, uh, by eating sourdough bread, and I'll, I'll sing the praises of. I, I wish I could eat sourdough bread. I love sourdough mm. bread. It's been years since I since I've had any though. So, so someone who's actually healthy, would you suggest that they even stay away from wheat, even when there's nothing going on in them? Like, would you just tell them, hey, look, this is going to be a problem for you down the track, so may as well not start playing with fire now, like just not get your immune system hyperactive like within the next few years because it's going to happen? Or is this inevitable? Or what is it? Like, or, or can, can some people tolerate this stuff? That's, that's a really good question. No one can tolerate it. It's whether you've crossed the line with all of the other toxins and you've lost mm. oral toxins. That's the bottom line. Okay. And, so everyone will eventually go down that line. That's yeah, just a and, matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this is what I need to say. And I'm really struggling um, in how to get this point across that impacts and gets past people's I love my cookie concept. Mm. It's really hard. But we don't have time to mess around anymore. We don't have time. I'm, I'm going to tell you two studies. The first one, the World Wildlife Fund, about a year ago, published a study in conjunction with two major universities that on average, there has been a 58% loss of all vertebrate species populations on the planet between 1970 and 2012. Wow. In 42 years, we've lost 58% of everything that has a spine. Birds, insects, mammals, we fish, we've lost them. They're gone forever, forever. Now, and for, for terrestrials, it was 36%. For those living near fresh water, it was 78%. 78% of wow. everything is gone. Why? Because they're drinking the water. And if you were drinking the water coming out of the rivers by your house, you'd get cancer quicker. You'd be unable to reproduce, just like the animals. That's the first that's the first study. The second study brings it home to humans. They did a meta-analysis, which means they looked at a number of research papers on one topic to see if there was agreement or consensus. So they did a meta-analysis of 180 studies on sperm count in healthy men between 1974 and 2011. So that's 37 years. And in 37 years, on average, there is a 59% reduction in sperm count in healthy men. Mm. Now, sci scientists worry about extinction of a species at 72%. Wow. We're at 59% in 37 years. When are we going to wake up? Mm. You can't keep living the lifestyle that you were born into and you feel entitled to because that's what we've always done. Well, you're, we're killing the planet with the way that we do that. And we're killing everything that lives on the planet. So we all need to wake up. This is not a discussion about what's a better form, what's a better form of vitamin C or where, where should I get my coenzyme Q10? Or I can't tell, should I go paleo or should I go autoimmune diet? What should, 
we have to change the way that we think about all of this. We have to wake up or you younger generation people are going to be unable to reproduce or for sure your kids are inheriting a planet that they can't live on. There aren't going to be fish in the ocean in another 25 years, according to the Environmental Working Group. There's not going to be fish in the ocean in 25 years. We have to wake up that we're all blindly going forward while corporations make their billions of dollars. We're doing all these comfortable things with plastics and and, uh, uh, genetically modified foods, and we have to wake up. And wheat just happens to be the most common food that triggers the inflammatory cascade, and you cross the line of oral tolerance. Wow. Right. So, so in, in, this is like looking at your vision for uh, planetary healing. You find that like getting rid of wheat would be one of the biggest things that will do that. Is that what, pre- what I? It's a prerequisite. Okay. It's a it's a prerequisite. You have to read the book, The Autoimmune Fix, because we go. For example, when when you pump gas in your car, can you sometimes smell the gas? Oh yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. You're breathing benzene. Mm. Benzene is a neurotoxin that causes cancer. You're standing downwind. So what do you do? Walk around to the other side of the hose. Now you're upwind. You don't smell it anymore. I mean, we, we have to start thinking about these simple things. My book is full of all these little simple things to do. Mm. When you come home, you take, you take your shoes off when you walk in the house. Why? It's not some Zen Buddhist thing. Rather... You walked home and you were walking on the sidewalk and your neighbor sprayed the sidewalk to kill the dandelions with Roundup. Mm. Now you've got Roundup on your shoes. You walk in the house with your shoes. Now there's Roundup on the carpet. Your infant's Mm. crawling around on the carpet. Now your infant's got Roundup on his hands. It gets in his mouth, gets in his body. You leave the toxic world at the door outside. That's why you leave your shoes. You know, there's all these little things. We just have to start thinking this way, people. We can't be blindly going down like any uh, limit, you know, just going down to our doom the, the way that it's happening right now. We have to wake up. And you folks have a great venue to carry messages out. I hope both of you will read my book Definitely. because you'll say, oh, this just makes sense. This must make sense. So in every interview, whoever you're interviewing, whatever their specialty is from exercise to singing to clothes Every well, tell tell us the clothes that don't pollute the planet. You know, that you start thinking this way and being a catalyst to save the planet, or your kids and for sure your grandchildren aren't going to have a planet to live on. So, this is definitely in line with what we do, uh, Dr. Tom. We uh, our aim is to basically bring health back to uh, families so that it becomes very clear to them that their health and the health of the planet and the ecosystem is one and the same, and that if they're going to really be healthy themselves, they have to look after their own, um, the, the, the area that they live in, the supportive farmers, make sure that they're uh, using uh, meat and vegetables from sustainable farming practices, that they eliminate all these things that are toxic in their household, and by reducing the demand for these things, we increase the demand for healthy, uh, sustainable products out there. But I, I, I do want to, uh, you mentioned Roundup, and this is something I want to talk about a little bit uh, with you, because there was a documentary called uh, called What's With Wheat on, uh, it's now on Netflix, I'm not sure, have you seen that one yet? No, I haven't. 
Okay, so this is made by an Australian um, naturopath um, called Cindy O'Meara. She's oh, a naturopath, yeah. is that right? Yeah. Nutritionist. Yeah, so yeah. nutritionist, sorry, yeah. Uh, I, think, Cindy, I think I'm in it. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, so you, you might thinking, be, right? So, yeah, like, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, there you Cindy's go. Cindy's a All good right, friend so, of uh, yeah, she yeah. was great. I I know that I've talked to her a few times, and yeah. I don't know, I recall what the venue was, but yeah. yes. So um, she uh, talks a lot about um, Roundup that's sprayed on the wheat and uh, the shikimate pathway um, and the way that that kind of uh, basically destroys this metabolic path- pathway in us and gives us all these um, inflammatory or chronic illnesses that come uh, just by the fact that there's Roundup on our food and the wheat is drenched with it. So is yes. there... Um, Apart from the gluten, is this an added thing on top, or how, how do we view these things as well in conjunction, like with the Roundup and the wheat together? You know, um, I'm not sure what the terms are where where you are, and perhaps you can tell me as I describe this. If you're going to start a uh, charcoal fire for a barbecue, uh, you know, you squirt the charcoal lighter fluid on the coal on the charcoal. And then you light a match and toss a match on there. Sometimes the match won't catch. And and you have to light another match and gently lay it on the coals so the uh, the flame is going. And then you squirt the charcoal lighter fluid, but you, you can't squirt it on the flame or the, the flame goes out. You have to squirt it on the charcoals and then the spray, the, the flame will catch the spray and then it starts, right? Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Okay, good. So wheat is like charcoal lighter fluid um, on the coals. And for a while, the flame won't catch, the match won't catch until you have oral to- loss of oral tolerance. And then, it, then it's like the fire's already started and you squirt more charcoal lighter fluid on it and it just goes whoosh right away, you know, because there's already a fire there. So that's wheat. Um, um, Roundup, glyphosate, and instead of using charcoal lighter fluid, if you had poured gasoline on those coals and threw a match on it. Yeah. Whoosh. That's mm. right. So that's the effect of GMO foods. And um, uh, Monsanto has gotten away with saying that uh, Roundup doesn't have any detrimental effects to humans because it doesn't in their studies. But what they avoided saying is that it kills the microbiota mm. and by the pathway that you reference. But the, the, the microbiota is not human. It's in humans, but it's not human. And that's how they got away with uh, wow. having it passed and legalized. Yeah, very sneaky. Very. So, so it doesn't affect human cells directly, but it affects the bacteria and the viruses and the fungi and that um, the microbiome that we have. And therefore... Well, it, 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 by affecting them, it affects our system, but they can just get away with that, with say that it doesn't affect us because it doesn't have a direct impact on ourselves. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. That's how they got away with it. That's wow. how they got away with it. Now, um, what you need to know is the dangers of going wheat-free. Uh, almost everybody, almost everyone, feels better within a couple of weeks, two to three weeks going wheat-free. Almost everyone does, unless you have other foods that you're still sensitive to that you don't take out. That's why in the book, you'll read that we recommend wheat, dairy, and sugar for three weeks. Get it out of there. Yeah. And, and, and we give you a lot of options of um, how to be vibrantly healthy. Um, 
But what, what you have to know is that 76% of the prebiotics, those foods that feed the good bacteria in your gut called probiotics, the 76% of the prebiotics in the Western diet are wheat-based. So when you take wheat out of the diet, you eliminate three-fourths of the prebiotics that you were taking to feed the good bacteria who are trying their best to hold on and are having a really hard time just holding on in life because of the GMO foods and everything else. And when you stop feeding the good bacteria because you've taken their food away, which is the arabinoxylans in wheat, you know, wheat's not all bad for you. There are some things that are good, but the bad outweighs the good by far. So when you've taken wheat out of there, you take away the prebiotics. Those are the people three months down the road, they've got new symptoms. They're feeling sick in new ways. And they have no clue as to why, because they're wheat-free and they feel better being wheat-free, but they're sick for something else. It's because you've altered the microbiota and the good bacteria have died off from not being fed and the bad bacteria just thrive in that environment. So now you've got what's called dysbiosis that's much worse than ever before or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth that's much worse than ever before because mm. you took wheat out and you replaced it with these wheat-free products that are just paste. They're all just white paste. Yeah. It's, not, it's not healthy to eat gluten-free pasta or gluten-free blueberry muffins or gluten-free bread. Totally it's agree not, with you there. <laughs> not health food. Mm. It's just paste. Now there's, now there's nothing wrong with having a uh, blueberry muffin gluten-free once in a while. Who cares? But you just can't eat that stuff every day and depend on it. It's yeah. white paste that, that just puts fat on you. So what we have recommended to people is to get back to mostly vegetables, some meats, you know, the nuts and seeds, things like that. So can you explain exactly what you would recommend for a diet? Yes, of course. And uh, it's elaborated in great detail in my book, mm -hmm. Shameless Plug, Shameless Plug. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone, everyone needs to read this so that they just understand this big picture. But let me tell you at least part of some components, if I may, mm -hmm. of building a healthy microbiome. Mrs. Patient, when you go shopping... Go to a natural food store or, you know, the health food store, organic vegetables, always, always organic. And in the vegetable section, buy a couple of every root vegetable they have. Get rutabagas and turnips and parsnips mm -hmm. and sweet potatoes and different colored carrots and different colored beets. And every day you have at least one root vegetable every single day. One root vegetable, because each family of root vegetables are different prebiotics that feed the good bacteria in your gut, that feed the probiotics. And they feed different families of probiotics. So you don't want to just eat sweet potatoes all the time. They're good for you, but you want to have some turnip and some rutabaga and some parsnips and whatever root vegetables grow in your part of the world because root vegetables have a lot of insoluble fiber that feed the good bacteria. So that's the first thing you do. The second thing is you go to Google and you type in list of prebiotic foods. And here comes the list. And you'll see bananas are there and avocados are there. And many foods that you've been eating on, on an occasional or regular basis are really good foods for you because they're prebiotics. 
And so you include two of those foods every day, along with the root vegetables every day. Yes. So, so we've got the root vegetables and the prebiotic uh, foods yes. now in the diet. And we've eliminated um, the grains like uh, wheat and rye and barley and oats by the sounds of it as well. But, uh, what about legumes? Are the, is there room for those in the diet? Well, it depends. I know some people are sensitive to um, uh, 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 agglutinins. Uh, and some le most legumes fall in the family of lectins, you know, and some people are sensitive to those. And so if they're not sensitive to them, then they're a good source of nutrient for you, fiber and nutrient. Yeah, they're just excellent. But some people have a sensitivity. So you have to check and see mm. the, mm -hmm. there's there's two components to feeding yourself and rebuilding your microbiome. The first is the food for the microbiome, and that is the prebiotics. And the second is repopulating the probiotic environment. Mm -hmm. Now in repopulating the probiotic environment, the most important thing on the probiotic environment in your gut, the good bacteria in your gut called the microbiome, the most important thing is the diversity of the good guys critically critically important mm. so it's not it's not going to fix you if you take a capsule that has lactobacillus acidophilus and bifidobacteria <laughs> it's it's helpful but you need hundreds of different species of the good bacteria because there are thousands of species in there in your gut and so you want to you want to repopulate for diversity and the way you repopulate for diversity, Mrs. Patient, when you go shopping, buy five different types of fermented vegetables. Just make sure they're not pasteurized. Mm -hmm. Five different types. Buy sauerkraut, buy kimchi, buy miso, buy fermented beets, buy curry flavored. Just get a bunch of them. And every day you have at least one forkful of a different fermented vegetable because the fermentation process produces all of these good bacteria for you. And every vegetable, when it ferments, produces different strains of the beneficial bacteria. So mm -hmm. you're, you're re-inoculating yourself with many different strains when you alter the fermented vegetables that you eat every day. And you say, well, my son, my 12-year-old son doesn't like fermented vegetables. Doesn't matter. <laughs> take take your spoon and take the juice of the fermented vegetable and pour it into the mashed potatoes. Yeah. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to taste it. You just have to get it down there, and so get it down there any way you can. Mix it with the peanut butter. You know, whatever it takes. Mm. Come up. You know, and there's a bunch of options in the book on how to do this. But become creative if you need to. But get the re-inoculation in there. Nothing strengthens the human body like a robust, vibrant, dynamic, protective microbiome. Most important you could do, most important thing to protect your brain. My new book comes out next May. It's called Fix Your Body, Fix Your Brain. Ah, good. That, that sounds interesting. That you don't fix the brain by treating the brain. No. You, you fix the brain by treating the body. 
And so you have to figure out what's wrong. It's, it's the premise of functional medicine. You know, it's just the premise. I mean, we've got um, uh, uh, Dale Bredesen now is teaching uh, at the Institute for Functional Medicine on reversing Alzheimer's. Mm. And he's got, he's got over 100 patients, fully documented. Wow. Wow. MRIs, MRIs, cognitive test scores. Every, people who were in facilities, they couldn't function at all, are back home living with their families. Wow. People who couldn't work anymore are back to work. Yeah, there's right. nothing that you there's nothing that you can't help. Absolutely nothing. You just have to be comprehensive enough. Mm-hmm. And in Dr. Bredesen's program, there were 37 things on the checklist. Uh, top of the list. Do they have a do, do they eat wheat? Get it out of there. Do they eat dairy? Get it out of there. Mm-hmm. And you just go down the checklist and you fix what the problem is. Do they have uh wait a minute. I'm about to sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. Do, thank you. Do do they have um Heavy metal toxicity, if they do, get it out of there. Uh, do they have toxic chemical toxicity? If so, get them out of there. Do they live in a toxic environment where the air pollution is really bad? You know, there's a type of Alzheimer's called inhalation Alzheimer's. It's, it's what you breathe that's causing the inflammation in the brain. If so, get an air filtration system in your house. That's where you spend at least a third of your life. Uh, and all of that's in the book. You know, this concept is... The autoimmune mechanism is the primary mechanism causing the degenerative diseases in the world today. So if you understand how your immune system is trying to protect you and the collateral damage is destroying your own tissue while it's trying to protect you, then you understand you have to reduce the need for your immune system to protect you. You don't, you don't try to suppress the immune system. Yeah, you know, it's doing its job to protect you. You have to reduce the need for the mm. protection yeah. by reducing the exposure to whatever the offensive agents are. Wonderful. That's um, a lot of information, and I'm sure that the listeners will uh, buy your book and really get into the details here because there's sound, it sounds like um, people will read the book and be able to identify these environmental factors within their life as well and start being able to address them. Things uh, I've heard you talk, for instance, about chlorine before and getting that out of the water and the importance of that and things like the addressing uh, makeup or body products and all these things as well. And if uh, a podcast on its own isn't going to be enough for someone to actually get to that full understanding, so highly recommend that you purchase the book. What's the book's name again, Dr. Tom? The Autoimmune Fix. Fantastic. Where, where can people find you and where can they find the book? Oh, thank you. Uh, the book's on Amazon. Uh, uh, it's also on my website. The website is thedr.com, thedoctor.com. Just don't spell the word doctor out, thedr.com. And um, there's one more thing I'd like to tell you, and that is um, I spent a year and a half traveling the world, interviewing the world leaders in autoimmunity. For example, Professor, Ye- Professor Yehuda Schoenfeld is at Tel Aviv University in Israel. This guy... 28, at last count that I know of, 28 of the PhD students that studied and got their PhDs under him, and there are many more than 28, but 28 of them now chair departments of immunology in med schools and hospitals around the world. They're his students. This is the godfather for uh, all the people that are at the top of their game in immunology. And when you listen to, and, and I interviewed 85 of the world leaders. Then I interviewed the doctors 
who were applying the clinical principles that these leaders were researching. And then I interviewed the patients of the doctors who were applying the protocols that the doctors were recommending. And you hear the patient talk about how she reversed her MS, that she couldn't walk and she had eight lesions on her brain. Now, two and a half years later, she has one lesion left and she has no symptoms. And you hear the people reversing their rheumatoid and reversing their lupus and reversing their Hashimoto's. And you hear all of this and you go, oh my God, oh my God, that is very cool. That is, wow, wow. And it's called betrayal, the autoimmune disease secret they're not telling you. Yes. And it's free. It's free online. You go to my website, thedr.com forward slash betrayal, and it's right there for you. And it's nine episodes, all about an hour each. You'll, you'll get one episode every day, and it's free. And you, it, it'll, it'll just empower you. So between betrayal and the book, The Autoimmune Fix, you will have the tools to ask the right questions for the health of you and your family. That's so helpful. Thank you so much for that. We'll yes. put links to those things in the show notes so everyone can find them easily. That'll be great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Dr. Tom, thank you so much for being with us on the show. We really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm sure this episode will get a lot of interest from our yeah. listeners and hopefully we'll be able to get you back to address specific questions they might have or something like that. So uh, really, really appreciate that you took the time to talk to us from all the way across the world. And uh, we hope, what is it, nighttime now? We hope you have a good evening or mm-hmm. what is it? Well, thank, thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> it, um, it's um, late afternoon going yeah. into the evening and the sun is setting soon. Yes, thank you. It's a real pleasure. And I hope your listeners will listen to this interview again because I know I know it's so power packed. I know there's so much and it's overwhelming. I know, but wake up. Mm. You have to <laughs> up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know yeah, I was taking is- notes during the interview because it was so good. <laughs> so thank you. I'll listen to it again. <laughs> No, I think it's going to be something that's really going to help our listeners. So we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.